Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and our topic today is about our changing stories. We talk about how our roles are changing. We're building new stories for ourselves, our community, and the world around us. But what are those roles that we're each playing? Um, Are there new connections? Uh, Are we letting go of some of the old connections of how we made up our mind to do things? And what choices are we making? And are we making some intentionally during this time? Are we reframing our lives and reframing our reality? And to help us explore our stories, we have Jeff Sylvester, who is all about telling stories and making connections. He's with Blue Moon Productions. It's a creative content agency, and they write, they design, they do e-learnings, they do video productions. They're very cool. And I welcome you, Jeff, to join us today on Connections. Lori, I'm glad to have a conversation with you. It's great to have you. We, We go way back. We did a program more years than I'm going to admit. On radio, uh, when we were when you did some work for us with the American Cancer Society, I remember it was the significant journey, and kind of interesting. We're still on that journey, aren't we, Jeff? Uh, it's really true. It's very true. <laughs> and and more recently, we've been connected through Peter Bailey of the Prouty Project, and he Peter's great about getting a lot of creatives together to you know explore our realities and and give each other support and. And explore insights. So I've always appreciated you being a part of that and being able to be connected to you that way. Well, it's very mutual. Well, Jeff, I know that you're in the 12th ward and you're just like a mile away from the 3rd precinct, which was the epicenter of the protest. And a lot of changes, a lot of changes are taking place in that area. I'd love to have you just share what's going on. You know, how, how did you experience um all the tumultuous uh, protest and police station burning and your world, your world's turned upside down. Yeah, well, it was it was it was a powerful experience just in our neighborhood. Um, you know, I, I looked at this as kind of a, a, a. I was mentioning to a friend, it's almost like the plate tectonic shift that's happened in our city, and we live less than a mile from that third precinct and uh, nightly my wife and and I would hear a lot of helicopters uh, a lot of tension a lot of neighborhood groups trying to get organized to protect their buildings and unfortunately you know the the bank the target the favorite restaurant the I mean everything in our neighborhood is gone Um, so we, fortunately, our white privilege allows us to get in the car and go outside our neighborhood for everything we need. But for, uh, you know, the diverse neighborhood I live in, um, there are a lot of people that are having a hard time getting the necessities because it's all gone. Um, now obviously this all happened because it was, it was very much a, um, The image that comes to my mind, it was like a flare went off in our neighborhood about the police brutality uh, and the killing of George Floyd. So um, a lot of us welcomed the protests, but at the same time, I found myself um, kind of defending my castle. Uh, My daughter's car windows were bashed in outside our house. And so it was it was difficult. Um, 
it's been so many different things. Now, you've been working with your church in in looking at issues in terms of multicultural and racial disparities, and um, you go to the yeah. first Universal Church of Minneapolis, and you've, you've been working for several years in trying to explore relationships in your community. You want to share a little bit about that, too? Yeah. I, first Universalist has been really important in terms of me uh, opening up um, Basically, looking at this question as a spiritual question, racial justice is something that touches us all. And what I started to realize spiritually is this is something in our country that has poisoned all of our wells, not just uh, communities of color or um, the white community, but all of us have paid a price for the kind of the hypocrisy of of what we espouse our country to be and what it rea- in reality it is. So, um, you know, in the Unitarian Universalist Church, we talk about our first principle. It's everyone matters, and there's no exception to that. And then our seventh principle, we talk, we talk about this idea that we are all connected fundamentally one to another. And so when you put those two things together, you realize, um, I just realized spiritually, I had to respond to to racial inequities. And what I've realized in terms of my own personal journey is this is a great state if you're white. Mm-hmm. But if you're a person of color um, across the board, whether it's schools, prisons, um, our health care system, uh, the composition of our neighborhoods, the ability to get a loan from the bank, if you're a person of color, this is not a great state, and we have nothing to be proud of in terms of that. We have so much work we have to do. I mean, we rank uh, we rank among the worst of in in um, most categories. We rank forty eight out of fifty. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it was a real wake up call for me personally, intellectually, but spiritually. I just realized, oh, I I cannot. Um, I can't live in my comfortable bubble and do nothing about this. And so I dedicated a lot of my work and off-hours time to um, looking at this. And um, Are there some I feel that... like I'm every time, you know, it's one of those things, Lori, where I feel like, you know, you, you, you feel like you're in kindergarten and you mm-hmm. learn something and you realize, well, I'm still in kindergarten. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still just waking up to my own white privilege as a, a man, and um, it's just a pretty big story. And obviously what's going on for us right now is huge in terms of accelerating this the kind of self-examination as well as uh, collective examination we are all doing. You said earlier that it was like a flare going up in terms of the p- police brutality, and I know you've also been wrapping your arms around what does defunding the police mean? And I think there's so many different interpretations out there. I mean, there's some people that are, it's being used as sort of, oh, they're taking away the police, you're not going to be able to call 911 and you'll be left without. And others are much more thoughtful, like, no, do we really need, you know, tanks and the militaristic support (laughs) that we've been giving to the police? You know, aren't there social programs that make more sense? Where do you fall in in looking at what does defunding police mean? Well, I think I'm learning, as a lot of us are, that um, the at least in Minneapolis, 
there are so many police that are not acting on behalf of all of our citizens. They're acting on behalf of white citizens, and in communities of color, they're terrorizing them. Mm -hmm. And so from my standpoint, defunding the police is kind of an emotional call. I mean, I don't think anybody that is seriously looking at this is saying we will not have police. No, we need we need police of a certain kind. But I think what is exciting about it, and which I, I look at as kind of like the rubber band that we push out and pulls us forward, is the whole idea that we could have a new vision, uh, much like has happened in Camden, New Jersey, where... There certainly is a police force, but there's also a whole bunch of other um, members of the kind of public safety department Absolutely. that are also doing other things. So, social <laughs> you know? workers that so can someone, deal with you know issues exactly. that police are not trained to be able to deal with. Right. We've kind of asked police to um, not only keep the status quo, but kind of put on every hat imaginable. And that, that doesn't fit them. It doesn't fit us. Um, and so it particularly doesn't I, fit when there's unchecked bias that um, that it, it, part of unconscious or part of a culture. It's hard to tease out which is which, but it's there. I mean, we've got too many people dying. Right, and and systemic racism is real. Mm-hmm. It it's taking place, you know. And I, it's a wake up call for my. I I am I'm part of that too. Even though I'm trying to learn, I'm still – I contribute to it by doing nothing. And well, they say it's, it's, you know, silence the is a violence comes, too, you know, and, and if, you're, if right, we're not advocating. Right. The, the image that has been so powerful for me that I keep in my own mind and I'm in the business of images and it's a, like a moving walkway at the airport. If we do nothing, we are moving backwards mm-hmm. with racial justice issues. And we have to actively move against a walkway that's pulling us in the wrong direction. Interesting. It's, and so I think that is the thing we have to keep in mind, that it has to be very active all the time. So, And there, there I, I find that I have um, friends, family, associates that – they're very fearful. Our country's been always very fearful about talking about race. And part of it is, you know, we, we talk about white fragility, getting very scared that we're going to do it wrong. Um, but we're at a place where we start to, yes, we need to be vigilant. Yes, we need to do something. Yes, we need to embrace that we're going to make some mistakes. But I'd like to explore with you in our next segment, what does that look like? You know, what is the role for white people right now? I'm, I'm thoroughly... Um, charged that we have multicultural protests going on. So, you know, I can be proud of that. And and my niece was out there protesting. I I think that's fabulous. Um, But not enough people really know how to change their role um, and and what that looks like. So I I, I say that because I want to set up our next next segment uh, in terms of having us think about what's the white story? You know, what's the white story looking at Fragility versus advocacy. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on that for our next segment. All right. Well, you, you can give a, a quick, uh, quick thought. No, and then, that's good. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the number one thing for me is I end up realizing if I'm going to work in this arena, I have to be willing to get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And as a white person, that's the first thing. 
Well, I think it'll be interesting in our next segment because you are a filmmaker and right now it feels like we're all making our own films of who we are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. I'll look forward to hearing your your thoughts on that. And you're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota on Connections Radio Show. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and our topic today is our changing stories. And we have Jeff Sylvester, who is all about telling stories and making connections, so it's a perfect guest to have on our Connections radio show. He's with Blue Moon Productions. It's a creative content agency that does writing, design, e-learning, video production, music production, all sorts of cool stuff. So welcome, Jeff. We're so glad you're here today. Good to talk with you, Laurie. We were we set up the last segment. We were talking about you know you living in the third precinct, or lived in the twelfth ward, but just less than a mile away from the third precinct, and having the police uh, building you know being burned down, and and the riots and the challenge of living in that neighborhood, and exploring uh, the role of a white person in a multicultural community, uh, and what work do we need to do, and how do we reframe that for ourselves? How are we making a new movie for ourselves? And you you started to talk about we all have to be committed to do the work. Tell me more about that. Well, it's, it, it's interesting because as I've woken up or started to wake up to this because I think it's it's a real long process, as a white male, I'm, I'm realizing I've been a victim of a system that has brainwashed us all. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is fear is one of the ways in which we all kind of stay with the status quo. And mm-hmm. and I realize what's been so important is having building up the capacity to live outside our comfort zone. So for me, you know, I have a I witnessed my neighbor who's who's a Native American um, man being terrorized by the police mm-hmm. and part of me clammed up when I saw that happen. But then I needed to push through that mm-hmm. and realize, no, he's my neighbor, and um, I have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But the system in our country has kind of brainwashed us to kind of put our heads in the sand. So I, I really think as we have to wake up and, and, and warm up to the realities that we're seeing in our neighborhoods. I'm having more and, and more people tell me we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, and right. it's so true. I mean, we, we have to get I, to the point where it it is more normal to feel uncomfortable because that's that gives us uh, a, a sort of an inward, uh, you know, something going off, a radar beeping, if nothing else, that this is something we need to pay attention to if we're uncomfortable. Why is that, that we're uncomfortable and, and, and push into it? Right. And, and maybe look at that as a as a important thing to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been taught to seek safety at all costs. Mm-hmm. When, no, I think what's called for is to seek truth at all costs. <laughs> you know, to live a life of truth. We, in our company, we, we have the tagline, telling stories, making connections. Mm-hmm. So for me to be isolated from my neighbor who's Native American, it doesn't make sense. Um, I have to be willing to listen to him, and he has to be willing to be listened listen to me. You know, it's interesting too. As a white male, I've, I've, I really, I think you and I have talked about this, Lori. There's also a gender issue. I mm-hmm. mean, 
I'm part of a white supremacist model that kind of uses power. Mm-hmm. And um, my daily prayer is three things. I have I've, the three L's. Listen first, let go, and lean in. And for me, listening as a man, just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. Listen to my neighbor. Listen to the w- women and communities of color around me. The letting go is kind of letting go of my preconceived ideas of what I think should happen. And what I've learned is I need to be able to listen to people that maybe aren't at my table yet. And then the lean in is make a commitment. Realize, okay, I I need to commit with some other church members to really building up the capacity to live outside my comfort zone in my work or in my neighborhood. Well, one thing about COVID-19, it's giving us a chance to do all three. Um, yeah. And to, because the transition of what has felt normal and what has felt safe and has been perhaps the false narrative because it's given us a false sense of security uh, is is not there. <laughs> you know, right, right. And, and I think we are having to listen differently. Um, and it, and yeah, I, I think it, the gender issue is powerful, and I, I'm so glad that you you do such good work with that, and, and others are doing good work with that. But you know, women need to do good work with it too. Um, I think it can be easy just to sort of shrug our shoulders and not push back, and allow ourselves to be misunderstood, and allow ourselves to just uh, you know. Like, there it goes again. I, you know, I can't s- seem to make my point in a meeting. <laughs> um, how, how to, right. how not to be? Um, there's a learned helplessness in that 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 we need to fight against and be our own shero and and not accept um, that too. So there, there's an empowerment I think for everyone, um, but it is about sharing power, isn't it? Really, when it gets mm-hmm. at its core, um, what, what how does collaborative power work? Uh, and and all that good stuff. And you, you need yeah, to be it, collaborative when you do film work. That's one of the things I love about video and film production. You're so interdependent. Yeah, very much so. And, it, and the strength comes from the circle of people you work with. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel powerful right now. It's not about me alone doing this. I'm, I'm with a bunch of other people, including the group you and I are in, mm-hmm. this creativity group that you and I are part of. I feel strong when we're together, we're listening, and together we're trying to learn. And in, in our business, in our media production business, you just it's impossible to do it alone. You have to, you know. For me, the thing I'm most proud of with my work is we try to set up the conditions by which people can really speak from the heart. And when you do that, and when people speak their truth, it's, it's, it speaks really loudly. And you don't do that with just one person. You do it with the making the connections and having the capacity to, to do that. You know, and I I can't claim that I'm doing this. I'm doing it with a bunch of other people. Yeah. And together we're um, going to hopefully make change. And um, I have a reflective question for you. Looking back, you've been doing this 20, 30 years now. Yeah, and have you seen how people work together change over these years? You know, is there different things that you've learned in terms of working with folks that 
it, it shows up differently now than it did when you were first starting off and doing production work? Hmm. Such a good question. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the areas we've worked in um, are a lot of stigmatized issues. So mm-hmm. one of our longtime uh, clients, Hazelton Betty Ford, uh, we've been working with them for 25 years. And the attitudes about these stigmatized issues, whether it's mental health or addiction or the prisons or um, I'm, I'm working on a project right now looking at sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. And each one of those things, what I think has changed is people's willingness to shine a light in dark corners. <laughs> and I'm that I find that really hopeful. That actually we're not living in a false narrative. Talk about reframing, yeah. Lori. You know, it's like wow, Elijah. And I'm not. You know, I'm. I, I see a lot of courageous people. A lot of people half my age mm-hmm. being willing and able to name things that need to be named. Well, that gives me hope, too, because the idea of being brave and that you've seen the issues that used to be in dark corners and and doors shut, maybe we've been leading up to this point where we can be brave about really big issues. Uh, Maybe that's Mm -hmm. part of what we can take in during this time is that we're ready to be brave. We're ready to, to, to look at the dark corners. Right. And, you know, the greatness of our country is, is willing to, Admit a mistake and then make amends. You know, I think the greatness of our country has been about trying to live more and more. To, I, I just watched um, Hamilton. Have you? I have you, not. Have you Can you that? believe I've not? Oh. I mean, but I haven't. Okay, I'll well, watch the movie. I just, yeah, I just watched it, and it's so powerful in terms of this. You know, the juxtaposition between the promise of our country and then the reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm. What's happening? is incredibly energizing. When we're living in a false narrative, it just drains energy from all of us. Yes. But when we're living in a, in a narrative that is true, it, there's so much energy that gets released. And I wonder whether that's the same with this racial justice issue. We've been kind of living, uh, for lack of a better uh, description, a lie. Mm-hmm. And now we're we're... We're willing to look at not living a lie and not living hip, hip, hypocritically. And it's exciting that maybe we could be a little bit better, all of us, that way. Well, with that, and that's exciting if that is the possibility. Well, with that sense of excitement, I want us to um, move to the next segment. We'll have to take a break uh, before we move to that next segment. But I'd, I'd like to have our audience hear something that you did. You were crewing for this and the national campaign for the Poor People's Campaign. We, there was a Minnesota um, version of the Minnesota Poor People's Campaign. And I want to share – I'll let you set it up when we come back um, after our break. Let you set up. Um, your experience in crewing on that, then I'd like to have us listen. And this was a year ago, and it and it just speaks so – it has so much relevance right now that it could have been taped yesterday. Um, very, very powerful piece. So I'm going to keep our audience uh, excited <laughs> about coming back and, and hearing more about uh, Minnesota's Poor People Campaign and, and your experience in, in helping to create that. Okay. All right. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota here on Connections Radio Show. 
Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm so glad you've joined us today and made the connection. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And today we're exploring changing stories. How are all our stories changing? How are we living in a new movie that we're making for ourselves? And what choices are we making? And, and how are those intentional choices perhaps framing who we are, our community, and the world around us? We have Jeff Sylvester joining us today, and he's terrific about telling stories. In fact, he's been working with folks, having them tell stories through documentaries and videos and e-learnings. Uh, and he's with Blue Moon Productions, which is a creative content agency that does beautiful work. And if you are interested in learning more about Blue Moon, you can go to bluemoonpro, bluemoonpro.com, and you can learn all about the cool things that they do. And in this segment, uh, as I uh, teed it up in the last segment, we're going to hear a little bit of a, a piece that you worked on, Jeff, and I'd, I'd love to have you just share. Um, what was that experience? And tell us a little bit about the piece we're going to be hearing. Yeah, well, this the videos, we, we were hired, um, and I should mention my partner, Will Holmeyer, who was really, instinct, really instigated this. We were hired by the Minnesota chapter of the Poor People's Campaign to really document what was going on over uh, a two, two or three week period. So it, we were a video crew that was trying to capture the flavor of what was happening in terms of protests and speeches. And we used that as a way to directly talk to people through face, FaceTime or Facebook or whatever medium they ended up. Uh, learning about the campaign. And so it was kind of a uh, interesting journey for us as well, just being crew. I mean, it was literally Will, Will on camera and me running audio and um, uh, kind of just following in the streets with, as this was unfolding. And this was in 2019. This was a year ago. Correct. And who all is featured in the clip that we're going to be sharing? Well, it's a it's a lot of leaders that were involved with the Minnesota Poor People's Campaign, and then also some people that gave it context spiritually. So you're going to hear from an African American leader uh, from African American congregation, and then a Unitarian Universalist minister from uh, Church in St. Paul that that kind of give the context and the spiritual underpinnings. If you remember. The original Poor People's Campaign was Martin Luther King, and mm -hmm. many people pull, pulled that forth, and they were really looking at it as a moral imperative that we address a bunch of a number of issues. And we recently and so, had a, another a virtual uh, one on June twentieth. So exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. I'm excited to have this be shared with our audience. So we'll 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 get that queued up. Here we are living in the wealthiest country the world has ever known, and there are still 140 million people either living in poverty or in imminent danger of living in poverty, half of whom are children under 10. If there's anybody in our country who is suffering, we're not doing okay. Uh, we've learned to look at this as an individualistic kind of project, that my work and my struggle and my striving in this context is about me and my family. 
Well, the quality of our life, the quality of our democracy is woefully diminished when we have so many poor people, so many people struggling in our community. And here's what makes it even worse, something that Dr. Martin Luther King said very, uh, very powerfully. And we have the resources to address it. We can't do this work based on the systems that are built on oppression. So our moral call is to interrupt those systems and use our voices, whoever we are, to come together to build more just systems that care for one another and that recognize that inherent belovedness in one another. Here in Minnesota, that's really important because we are going into fall elections. And one of the things we want to do, we don't care wh what, what party the candidate is from. We, that's not our issue right now. Our issue is these are things that are going on in our community, and no one, no one should be expected to be elected if they do not address the issues of poverty, systemic racism, environmental degradation, or militarism. No one should get a free walk into office if they have not come to the people and said, I hear you, and here's how I want to work on those issues. The Minnesota Poor People's Campaign is part of the Poor People's Campaign and National Call for Moral Revival, and it is a coordinated campaign over 40 days of action. It's a chance for us to come together, to interrupt the news cycle, to have people talking about poverty, about what racism has done to our society, about what the environmental effects of pipelines and water are having on people on a day-to-day -day basis, and what the uh, militarism and the war economy are doing to our nation. Just as 1968 was a particular moment in time, with its tragedies and its possibilities. Our time now is a particular moment of time. You can feel the possibilities everywhere. There is a new creative spirit in the land. This is the time to step up. This is the time to meet the neighbors we have never known. I'm trying to change my life. I'm trying to bring what strength I have into conversation with all kinds of folks who I've not taken the time nor had the privilege to know. The energy we draw from that original idea will be given new birth and fleshed out in a different way in our own context. And, if, and I think that's why I continue to, to talk about Dr. King, because I do believe that we stand on firm ground, that the foundation on which we stand to do this is both a hallowed ground, but it is also, uh, it is prophetically rich. And so I think we have enough to go forward, to carry on that work in a deeper and more profound way. And that's why I'm involved and so excited about it, uh, because I think we get to, to continue the work that Dr. King started. If we step up now, we can change the world. James Baldwin said, if we, and by we, I mean the relatively conscious ones who must, like lovers, inspire and sustain the consciousness of others do not fail in our duty now. We may yet end the racial nightmare 
realize our country and change the history of the world. This is the time. The Poor People's Campaign is an opportunity to put love to work. Jeff, isn't that so powerful? And it it is time. And, and but what's so amazing to me is this was done last year, and it has so much relevance right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have to tell you, as I was listening to you again, I feel like I'm my like my dad. You know, back in the my dad worked on the model cities, and when the, Minneapolis was burning back in the 1967, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Now. And and I was thinking, we are still back there. <laughs> or we're still, you know, we're it's, still doing it. It's back and to we, the future. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, and, it's crazy. And, and then even from last year to this year, I mean, the only difference between right now and is maybe more people are willing to pay attention. And we, we made that video just to try to get the word out, you know. So I, I go back to what you said earlier, which I find so compelling. Do we want to live in fear or do we want to live in love? Yeah. That's really the essential question for us right now. You know. And and, and, and our silence as whites is deadly. Yes. And and so when we make a choice to to love, when we make a choice to commit to something bigger than ourselves, it, it it also means that we have to let some of our pride go and that w- when we make a mistake that that's okay. We can lead by that as well because it is only when we make a mistake that we start to really learn. Like, oh, <laughs> that, that that wasn't quite right. Help me and, and allow a different kind of teaching that will connect us deeper. And, and I know, I'm not sure any of us know what that really means except – we know we need to reject some of the old systems that aren't working. Right, and I think you're bringing up a real good point. We have to be able to practice. Yes. So, for instance, as you know, as a friend, I know I can talk with you out loud, and I'm, it's, that's going to be okay. Yes. And I think we need to – I do a class with a, a real brilliant educator, Denise Conan, through our church. It's called Brave Connections. And what we've been doing is we've been practicing what it's like to sit at the Thanksgiving table with a racist uncle who has just said something. And then what do you do with that? And then practice actually trying to bring out the better of ourselves. <laughs> and and for know? how many years did families just not say anything because, oh, let's just keep peace in the family. Let's not talk politics. Let's not. You know, right. At what point do we just go, right. this is beyond politics. This is really about humanity. Right. And, and, how, right. and how are we addressing humanity? And if we're going to live in fear, we're not going to do anything, whereas the Poor People's Campaign was talking about interrupting systems, yeah. whether they're in our family or whether they're in our neighborhoods or whether they're in ourselves. I mean, I think, you know, we need to be able to say right now, this is not okay. It's not okay that George Floyd, over eight minutes, was murdered yeah. by a police officer. 
that's not okay. And if I'm silent about that, that is not okay either as a white person. So let's advocate for disruption and and making change. And I have to go because I've gone over on all of my segments. <laughs> so we will be back uh, to talk a little bit more about what are things that we can do? What are some actions, including um, how to talk with a family and, and our new opportunities because we are not necessarily – all under a roof together. Um, how are we reaching out and making connections and speaking our truth? And, and what can we do to encourage others to continue to speak our truth? So stay with us. We'll be right back and we'll talk more with Jeff about his ideas, which are absolutely wonderful. So thank you, Jeff, for joining us today. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. We have been exploring our changing stories. Uh, we have Jeff Sylvester, who's an absolute wonderful storyteller, and he has Blue Moon Productions, which is a creative content agency, and they do writing, and they do video, they do audio, they do documentaries, they work with nonprofits. Um, and what I love about the work that you do, Jeff, is that you do... Um, you work with issues that are challenging and you help bring out the truth uh, for the individual or the organization um, so that that we can connect with that so that it, it, it we always I think we're people are, are much better at uh, being able to recognize when something isn't authentic and it's easily dismissed but when it is authentic when there is it rings there's a truth. Um, we connect with it, and we've been talking about what's our story and how we make connections. And I think film is such a wonderful way of looking at how to look at our own life because we're we're very comfortable with the cinematic and with your your creative abilities. What what sort of suggestions do you have for us in thinking about looking at our story that way? You know, I, I really, one of the things in our work that I realized is so often you think that the end product is the video that you end up with, mm-hmm. but it's actually the journey of making it that is the important thing. And, you know, I think people really want to tell their stories. And so I think we want to get to the truth of things. I mean, what's so interesting in my line of work is when you look at someone in their eyes that's speaking, and when they're saying their truth, you know it. Mm-hmm. You can kind of pick it up in a nanosecond. Um, and you can't hide in the medium sometimes we we work in. And when it is very genuine, and, um, you know, like the poor people's segment that we wa- listened to, it was, you know, the, the people were speaking from the heart, and you could tell that. Yes. And they were passionate about it. And... um so what's interesting about this whole story question, though, for me personally, is I, you know, I've been carrying around this story that Minnesota is a great state. And I've been carrying around this story, and I, I first got a glimpse of it when I had left the state, and I was looking at it from afar. And I realized, wow, you know, this whole Minnesota nice, you know, we kind of make a uh, kind of laugh about it. But, you know, there's a way in which our state, I've been waking up to the racial disparities we were talking about, and 
you know, it's, it's, um, it's, we have a great state and there are a lot of great people, but intention is not going to cut it when we have systems that are trapping us all. And that the job of our storytelling is to actually tell the truth. It's kind of like a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, if you're not real, all of a sudden you're complicit right. with the lies of a family. Well, I think this can be the, the same with our state and our neighborhoods. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is um, a romantic notion for me of Minnesota. It was, I didn't grow up here, but this is where my family's from. So there's a whole folklore about Minnesota, and I wanted to come back to where my family was from. And there is, you know, there's many beautiful parts of Minnesota, but what I feel when I think of Minnesota, knowing the disparities, and I worked for many years in looking at the health disparities especially, uh, is that if I want it to be great, I need to be part of making it great. And And I don't have to lose the desire for Minnesota to be great. But I have to step up and not accept that it's okay, that there are many things that are not okay. And Minnesota nice is usually a way of distancing people. And um, when I first moved here, I, I, I have lived in the East Coast and I had more of an East Coast style of in your face and that didn't play well for many years because <laughs> that's just not what – but I'm, I'm refinding that um, East Coast style and blending it with the many years I've been here to find my way and to right. rediscover what is important to me and that I don't have to moderate just because I'm in Minnesota. I can – um, tell my truth maybe a little differently and that that's okay and that we need to work towards that. Well, we just have about a minute yeah, I, left. So, so share one more good thing for with me. Well, it, it's interesting because I realized for me personally, um, shame and blame shuts everyone down. Yeah. And, and it feels like we, you know, Robin D'Angelo with the book White Fragility, by the way, if you get a chance for you to look at that, we have all been victims of a system that has brainwashed us all. And shame and blame just shuts us down. So we need to have the courage to not go into shame, but actually go into the going, go into wanting to find truth and As possibility and possible. Yeah, look Curi- for the possibility. Curious. Be curious about our story and others. Yeah. And with that, we can wrap up today's story. Um, but there are more stories to come, and I'm looking forward to having you come back sometime, Jeff, and we can talk about some other projects that you're working on. So will you do that with That'd me? Be great, I'd love to have yes, you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay. thanks so, and thanks so much for joining us today on Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And I encourage you to be creative, be intentional, and be brave. <laughs> 